Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. The Telegraph. Telegraph. Podcasts. Hi there, podcast fans. I'm Tom Gibbs. Welcome to Telegraph Audio Football Club. Today, it's all smiles along the North Circular as both Arsenal and Spurs secure vital wins in the race for fifth place, which may now secure a Champions League berth for next season after Manchester City's ban. We will investigate that in detail. Right on cue, the Champions League returns to our lives. We look forward to four games this week, as well as a brief word on the Europa League. Plus, the best title race in Europe hots up again and football in adverse weather conditions. And don't forget, there's still time to get a very special offer just for you loyal Audio Football Club fans. Hang around until the end of the podcast and I'll tell you all about it, Sweet Cheeks. Let's take you now into the audio recording facility where I'm joined by JJ Bull. How are you, JJ? I'm good. Good. What a lovely time to be here. That's that's right, yeah, Monday morning. Do you enjoy a Monday morning? Is it one of your favourite parts of the week? Uh, I have always been bad at waking up and uh, as you will be aware, being on time for things that start early in the morning. You're not. It's not chronic though, you're pretty good. Don't know. I'm used to making like I like being up later in the evening because yes. that's when I get all my best creative ideas. I see. So uh, that's all I've got for you. Mina Rizuki is alongside you. Uh, very interested in what's on your laptop screen. I don't is, know what she's looking is at. Is that yeah. one of JJ's creative ideas on his laptop? Yeah, there's like a white middle-aged man on his screen, so I was trying to figure out who it is. It's oh. an advert for Equity release. So I'm on Reddit. <laughs> that is. Why then? I thought it might be, I don't know, like a picture of his dad that he had. <laughs> um, but uh, hi, how are you? Yeah, I'm all right. Thank you, Mina. Have you got I'm a, still trying have you got to an equity release that. strategy sorted? Uh, do I have to be really old for that or no? I yeah, know. I think you've got to have some equity to release. Yeah, which, well, uh, not, in that case, no. Not something the majority of our generation are going to have no, to I'm, worry about. I'm like a football, football fan. I'm waiting for the billionaire. Yes, of course, of course. Sam Dean, how are you? Speaking of billionaires. Uh, very much not a billionaire. Oh, no. Um, I'm good. I, I The Monday morning commute, I only ever do when I'm on the podcast, mm. which is actually a really horrible experience. And it makes me realise how lucky I am to not have to do that every week. Of course, yeah. Mm. yeah. Hey, what's wrong with it? You don't like awful. seeing people. It was also, in this in this time of national crisis and panic about various illnesses, it's it's particularly alarming. Oh. Let's forget our troubles with a big bowl of football. Shall we start with North London? Good day for North London yesterday. You were at Arsenal, Sam. 4-0 win for them against Newcastle. Arsenal now third in the form table, if your form table is looking at the last six games. Things starting to click a little bit under Arteta? 
I think so, yeah. I mean, all the noises coming out of the club the last few weeks, uh, well, ever since he came in, really, have been extremely positive in that the players are responding very well. He's been incredibly demanding and tough on them behind the scenes and sort of trying to instill his way of doing things. Um, the results didn't quite match that, obviously, until this weekend. And I think a lot of people were growing a little bit sceptical about reports of how well things are going and how pleased all the players are because they kept drawing. Um and then it all sort of came together in the second half yesterday. Dodgy first 25 minutes, half an hour, when they really were exposed by Newcastle on the break, with Alan San Maximam in particular just causing chaos and havoc wherever he went. But in the second half, they played some great football, the best football they've played this season by some distance, I think. Um, Danny Sabayas was excellent. Meza Ozil was excellent, which is saying something. And uh, Nicola Pepe, obviously much maligned, um, heavily criticised for much of the season, but he was uh, the game changer really involved in all four goals. Do you like what you're seeing from Arsenal on the pitch? Mina Pepe beginning maybe to settle in a little bit now in the Premier League. Um, yeah, I mean, he's had a few false dawns. He has this ability to sometimes do something that's a little bit like shockingly beautiful. And then at times you're like, hello. Hmm. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I entertain you guys. Too much, but, um, I hope that's the coaching he's getting. I hope that's what Arteta's saying to him, like pulling him to one side and going, hello. <laughs> Earth to Pepe. Anyway, um, but <laughs> what I uh, I think what I liked so much about him yesterday was I thought that his decision making had improved. Um, I thought that, you know, he was like, OK, I don't actually have to always shoot or try to get a goal. Maybe I can try to deliver something for the team, um, improve the overall play in the final third. And I think that he did that quite well. I also always love a player who takes on his defensive duties. But with Arsenal, I really don't know what to make of them because half the time I'm like, is it their opponents or is it that they're now having like the game of their lives, you know? Because I just feel like, let, let's be honest, the opponent basically has no striker. You know, you've got Maximan, who's just like the world's greatest at like four-play football and no result at the end, yeah? And then what you have with Joel Linton is like, oh, I'm sorry, do I need to be in the box? Well, yeah, that's kind of what strikers do, you know? That's great, so, by the way, four-play football. <laughs> that has to be, like, just just remember that happened here. That was great. Certainly got your podcast title ready, haven't you, Joel <laughs> Oh, no. But you know what I, what I mean? So with that kind of stuff, you're like, okay, well, Newcastle were really good. Um, don't know what happened to them when they didn't get their goals. They probably fell apart. Yes, Arsenal are very much improving our, uh, with Arteta. You can actually see a game plan. You actually can see a strategy, something you didn't necessarily see before that. You can see there's an end point or that they're building and progressing towards something. Whether or not I think they're going to start winning all their games coming up, mm, doubt it. A little bit flattering to win 4-0, JJ. Um, Saka looked good when he came on, made that uh, second goal very beautifully and excitingly with uh, a nutmeg. Did you like what you saw from Arsenal on Sunday or are you still slightly on the fence about Arteta? No, I, I liked Arteta from the minute he came in. I think I, I agree that you see things were changing straight away. You can see that he's put ideas in and it'll just take time for that to come across. You can't suddenly make a... It takes time for players to improve and if they don't have the right balance of players, they need to change that by coaching or bringing in new ones. And he spoke before the game saying he knew he'd be up against a a block that's exactly what Newcastle always do they're so deep they're often against their own 18 yard or even like 12 yards out the, the, the deepest line and then they break and so you know exactly what's going to happen and all that happened in the second half they spoke to Aubameyang after the game and said um, what did Arteta say to you at the break because he seemed to come out and there was there any tactical tweaks he went no no it's just more of the same he said um, and we started with more energy uh, which was definitely what they were lacking in the first. They just didn't come out with that same with the intensity I think they needed in the first half. But then he also added that, and he also told me to stay closer to the strikers, like a second striker, which is an actual tactical tweak 
So there were tactical tweaks during the break, clearly, that he's been worked on. And uh, he saw as well that they were getting play on the right wing as well as the left in the second half because it was all going through Saka in the first half. And then when he started mixing up on the other side, that helped him quite a bit as well. It's quite uh, interesting how Saka is nominally playing at left-back, but whenever Arsenal have the ball, Granit Xhaka goes to left-back and Saka basically plays on the left wing. That's which... what Liverpool do with Henderson at right-back. Yeah, exactly. It makes total sense because all these teams now, they when they get into the final third, the shape's always a 2-3-5. Everyone does it, like Liverpool, Arsenal, everyone. <laughs> and, uh, but they'll often be... So you'll notice Arsenal when they have the ball around about halfway, there's a diamond in the mid in the midfield, and the, it's the two centre backs and Xhaka form the three, and then Ceballos is the tip of the diamond. If that makes sense, and that's how they construct. And then that way you can play Saka, who is a winger, at, a, at left back because he doesn't like he seems to be getting better at defensive bits and pieces. But Arsenal tend to have the ball, so he doesn't actually have to be. All, I mean, it can't be too hard to coach 1v1 defending. It's just something you can do. It's more the, he's not a very big lad. So that might be the thing that he has, he struggles with. And then you'll find in the future that when Tierney's ready and back, he might then get in at left back because it gives them more solidity mm. when they're playing in better teams. How's the mood, Sam? It's not quite as sort of hateful as it was <laughs> at the end of Emery's <laughs> reign. And also Freddie Umbo pretty much never got any sort of love either really which is I think a bit surprising considering his playing career with Arsenal really but, were uh, meanie to him when they were in the stadium well they're just they were just just as bad as they were under Emery really and I think nobody in the crowd really saw any obvious improvements or or signs of progress um, which is very different to Arteta there, there, there does seem to be more optimism now but then that that said after, at half time yesterday you wouldn't have thought <laughs> based on the atmosphere that Arsenal were playing particularly well and that the fans were overly enthused but um Certainly in the second half, there was genuine uh, sort of relief and excitement and satisfaction, which is, I mean, it's the first time they've won by more than two goals in the league since February last year. So, Isn't that so typical of, or a good example of this modern football and having Twitter and all these bits and pieces watching the game? So after the first half, you're thinking, well, Arteta's done nothing here. Mm. Arsenal are going to fizzle out. And uh, Graham Stunis was laying into them, saying how much better Newcastle were. He's talking about Newcastle. They were the best team by miles. And at the end, they've been pumped 4-0. Everything Arsenal have planned for comes completely into like you can just see it on the pitch and it totally works and Arteta looks like a genius and this they found the new, minutes. and they found the new Thierry Henry on Pepe that's another thing yeah. he says yeah. I mean I'm, I'm surprised there's no Bergkamp in there as well. yeah. <laughs> that's the bios <laughs> Mesut Mesut's the Bergkamp I thought Ketia did quite well I thought yeah that really kind of so you might not he didn't get involved I so much, too, yeah because he was he's on his own and mm. when you're playing against a team sat with five at the back you're surrounded by three centre backs I mean he was the, the thing I liked about it is that he started dropping to try and get involved in the play just so he can get a touch and then going back to his position just to make sure he was involved in the play. And there's a few times when he could have got the ball but didn't. But he was doing things that create space for others. Like uh, Saka said that he was he looked for Enketia when he was playing the... when he nutmegged the, the, two, the two defenders on the left. Mm. A really lovely bit of skill to then set up the um, Pepe's goal. So he was looking for Nketiah, but Nketiah had just pulled away to drag the defenders back, which freed the space up for Pepe. So it's good seeing that these players get recognition for doing things that, even if they're not involved in the ball, they're still doing bits and pieces. And like Joe Ellington, uh, Newcastle don't have a striker, but I thought I still think he's really good for Newcastle. I still think he does so much. There was one move where 
uh, St. Maximin goes flying through the, the pitch. The only reason, actually, it's Almiron who runs at this stage. Almiron runs through the pitch, and the only reason he can run straight through to get on goal is because Joe Ellington pulls the centre back out of the way by running wide. Then he can't get close to it. I Shocked also... <laughs> faces, it's fair to say, at the idea that Joe Ellington's doing a brilliant job at Newcastle. But let's move on to the other side of North London now with Tottenham Hotspur. Uh, they beat Villa 3 2 Mina. Do you fancy them for the top four at the moment? They seem to be doing all right without Harry Kane. They're getting through it. Yeah, it's weird. It's almost like, um, to be honest, it's not Mourinho because he has to have a, a central striker. He loves to have a reference point. Um, so it's a little bit strange. But I've always thought that the team actually plays almost a little bit better without Harry Kane. Harry Kane is so important. I think he's one of the best strikers in the world. Like, Don't get me wrong. I mean, I'm not saying, oh, sell him because you're better off without him. But what I do think is that it allows the other three, um, and by that I mean like Lucas Moura, um, Son, and whoever they put in usually as a third as a third uh, placed man there it allows them sort of to indulge in their pace to just have the freedom to go for it and I always think that Sun al- al- always shines when he's alone and, and oh god I hate the shining thing the um, Sun always shines yeah, yeah it's a great point I, I think it's been done about 45 times already um, like you know he sparkles um, when there's no Harry Kane and I feel like he comes to life when he's allowed that freedom and you saw that a lot you saw that in the run up when they were doing magnificently well in the Champions League as well everyone was complaining about what was going to happen without Harry Kane but he always comes through for them and they play a different style of football I think it's anti-Mourinho in many ways Um, but it's weird because Spurs are not necessarily playing good football and yet I still think that they have a good chance of making top four by strange ways of beating the likes of Villa and City when they didn't necessarily deserve all three points it's it's one of those where they're, they're seven games unbeaten now but they've not particularly played well in any of those games beyond maybe the City win but even then it was only after City went down to 10 men it's so of, Mourinho it's know, one right? of those where they're either maybe he's just really lucky they're either grinding it out and they're about to explode into some form or they're sort of getting a bit lucky and it's masking all their sort of underlying deficiencies so in one way or the other they're going to you think go one way, you know, either explode or collapse, but they might just keep grinding out. Actually, <laughs> I say uh, that, I think, well, well that's no like Mourinho, they might just keep nicking these games. Typical Mourinho teams, the he just waits for that one mistake in your position, and if you, as long as you are ready for it, yeah. and he, his players always are, that's how you get your wins. That's how you get these annoying like one nil wins and salvaging draws in the last minute. It, I don't, I don't think like, Spurs should be good for that top five, and they're they're a decent team, and they should be able to stay in there now. Especially with Van, sorry. Bergwin? Uh, Bergwidgen. Is it Bergwidgen? <laughs> Bergwin. That's how I'm trying to make it Bergwidgen, but I don't think uh, he's going to catch on. I mean, he was, he's been really good since he's arrived. He's a very talented player. Mm. Uh, what about Villa, JJ? A little bit disappointing for them. They got back into the game uh, after going behind, um, but Bjorn Engels kind of was the villain, then the hero, then the villain again. As was Alderweireld, he made a mistake. Yeah, but Alderweireld redeemed himself and then didn't mess it up again. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Poor poor old Engels. Villa have have got a little bit of that stink for me now where uh, that was the sort of game to me that said they might be going down. Maybe you shouldn't play such a high line. Sorry. Or just don't let the ball beneath your foot. Yeah, that's just a mistake. It's just an error. Late in the game, these things happen. The ball just went under his foot. he should have had his foot in a different position, slightly lower, not trying to control it with his studs. It should have been with the side of his foot to keep it down. But, um, I mean, he's a professional footballer playing in the Premier League. I think he already knows this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Aston Villa are just not really that good. They, they started the game, they're, they're fine, they're but they haven't got players good, good enough. Yeah, like, just little mistakes all over the, over the place. They're not 
they don't have enough about them to to score and they don't they're not particularly great because they're not that good at attacking at preventing the other team from scoring against them. Jack Grealish, by the way, I know we keep talking about him all the time, but my God, he's amazing. Mm. Some of the stuff he does, he's so much quicker than you think he's going to be every single time. It reminds me, and I'm not trying to compare this one bit to Messi, but <laughs> it's a little bit like when he gets the ball. <laughs> he's going to be like going to be Usain Bolt. <laughs> but when he, when he takes the defender 1v1, you don't know where he's going to go, like inside or outside. You don't understand to do a trick or just run or like use a trick to then set a pass away. But he takes players on and beats them every single time. He's a, he's brilliant. He's such a good player. But can I, can them, I have a little a bit of, a, of this whole <laughs> thing where everyone's like, oh, we feel so sorry for Villa. We feel so sorry for Norwich. Don't feel sorry for sides that don't necessarily have balance. You know, at the end of the day, I mean, the reason I think why... I it's balanced though. It's just the players aren't good enough. Do you think? Well, you could say that, but I mean, people keep telling me this, but they're still, what, double the value of Sheffield United. So I don't think it's just about that. You know, I do think that they make mistakes sometimes. I like the fact that Norwich, it's almost like they're so bad that they can go out and have fun and play good attacking football. They don't need to care so much about balance because it's almost like they've accepted they're not great. Yeah. But with Aston Villa, I just feel like sometimes if they just tighten their belts, maybe just not always look like they're just the super expansive, lovely playing side and maybe sometimes just be a bit boring to watch but you know keep a clean sheet yeah. but if you do that you t- all you do is that you, that boring 4-5-1 everyone does and you just wait to lose yeah, it's, it's I think. boring to stay in the Premier League and make all that money but you don't, nece- <laughs> but you don't necessarily do it this is the thing right? you can do that so I think there's a quite common approach that teams just go down anyway you just play a 4-5-1 or a 4-4-2 whatever and, uh, and then you end up just not being able to score because your players aren't good enough in the final third but to make a difference. Hang and on. In the context of this season, though, there's plenty yeah. of teams who have done all right attacking a bit more. Yeah. It's not an, it's not a vintage year, especially at the bottom of the league, isn't there, at the Premier League? Isn't there a good argument for doing what Mina says, being more solid? Villa are a little bit reckless in how they play. Like, that's how they... And you've got to, like, it's obviously a little bit sad and depressing to think yeah. it's all about the money and it can't be about the entertainment. But we're talking about the future of a club here. I know, but you can Thank also you, get results by playing in that way. And then when they had McGinn and Grealish in that midfield, they were a lot better because they had more control of the game and they could get more, uh, they could create more because they had more of the ball. And like, I like the way they play. They're decent to watch, which is more fun than just sitting in a block and doing a Burnley for five years. Yeah, but most people... If you want to be like Stoke and Burnley, like you'll survive for four years, but you'll just survive. I don't see the fun in it. This is basically the whole Brighton debate, yeah. which is that they had Chris Hutton last year and from about Christmas onwards just parked the bus every week and was just awful I think to watch. you can be both I think <laughs> you can be a little bit enterprising and in certain matches maybe just show a more conservative side to yourself I, I just think that you're missing Tyrone Mings I, I think that's a huge loss to be honest because for me he's one of the best centre-backs in the league so maybe on this occasion you're you're facing a side that has Sun that has Berg Wigin if you want me to say it that way um, that, has, that has Mora that has a lot of pace and also you know that they're just waiting waiting for the slightest mistake to jump on you and ruin you yeah and you think about where on the pitch that error took place for the third goal like you've got to you've got to wonder just see it out for the drop anyway we've got to we've got to talk about Manchester City who have been kicked out of European football after a alleged FFP uh, breach I wonder, Sam Dean, if this is going to be entirely upheld. Two years is obviously a pretty shocking development, a a bigger ban than we've seen for a long time for anything like this. Do you think that's what's going to shake out at the end of this once they've been to the court of arbitration for sport that this ban will be upheld? Uh, If I were a betting man, I think a one-year might be more likely, similar to Chelsea, for example, getting a two-window transfer ban reduced to one. Um, In many ways, that 
I don't I don't know this for a fact. This is me speculating, obviously. But I wonder if the fact they got a two-year ban was perhaps with that in mind that it can be reduced to one and they've still been punished effectively. It's a negotiating tactic, effectively. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Basically, aim high and then if you get reduced a bit, that still counts as a, as a, as a hefty punishment. Um, but what, what's obviously hugely important is how fast this all gets resolved because this needs to be done within weeks, if not by the end of sort of April, really, because we have to know and teams have to know whether fifth place will mean Champions League or not because summer budgets are planned spending is planned sponsorship incomes are affected by this player contracts are affected Every, everything comes into I mean you just look at Arsenal for just as an example as a team who now I think are just six points off fifth their entire summer will be dependent on whether they get Champions League or not and their the futures of players like Aubameyang and Lacazette will be entirely dependent on Champions League or not so that's a massive thing you can't let that run and run this whole summer because that's just not that's not fair to the other teams involved and they need to sort this out ASAP I'm not quite sure how long the process takes but you'd imagine it'd be accelerated on the city side Mina would you expect the big players to stick around even if it is only a year out of the Champions League if you're Raheem Sterling or Kevin De Bruyne and assuming they don't win it this year which of course they still might you'd be thinking about a move wouldn't you Uh, if it's one year and Pep stays I'd probably stay as well but they can't afford to keep them can they if they're not in it I'm sure they'll just find another way of accounting, right? Isn't that, isn't that the whole point? They <laughs> do a very good job the um, first time, don't they? By the way, just, just, you asked him a question on, uh, you said if you're in a betting man that you would do that. I agree with you. I would have also thought that it would go down to one season. I mean, if I'm, if I'm doing bets as well. But for me, the way they've reacted to this whole thing, uh, their reaction being so like, oh my God, I cannot believe you're doing this to us, you know? Um, I feel like they could then be made an example of because of how bad their reaction has been because they did say we're welcome we, we will welcome this investigation and they're not complied with the investigation. Mm. I like you throwing your pen away there Tom. Um, That's how furious I am about the FFP <laughs> breach. I just really believe in FFP. Mm. <laughs> Do you then? <laughs> so and I'm just like I don't know why you're so outraged by everything. It's a it looks, they're acting as if UEFA sort of, you know, the way that FIFA and and that stink of of things that happened before where everyone was like, "Oh, this is such a corrupt, you know, and um, with UEFA, when you look at the judicatory, the uh, adjudicatorial, how do you say that word? Adjudicatorial? Is that a word? Chamber. Bergwigen, uh-huh. yeah. Bergwigen. <laughs> yeah. When you look at that chamber and you look at the people who preside in it and the people that are who have looked into this case and found them guilty, one of the people there is an Englishman who is the head of the FSA. Um, of Dubai, which is the Financial Services Authority. So, and, and Dubai is an emirate of the United Arab Emirates. So it's just a little bit like there's no need to be so outraged. Maybe just comply. If it is irrefutable evidence, like you continue to tell us that it is, then I'm sure that, you know, let the law do what the law is supposed to do and CAS will help you overturn this. But this, the reaction to everything, um, which is so bizarre to me, I feel like could actually harm you rather than help you. And so whether or not you can afford to do what it is, I mean, look, Champions League brings roughly around 100 million, I would say, in, in revenue a year on a minimum. That could equates to just under 25% of their turnover. So they're going to have to do some stuff, um, you know, but 
as long as they get to keep Pep, then I think they get to keep some of their best players. Maybe then they have to sell off like, I don't know, a quarter of all the creative midfielders they do indeed have. Um, but um, I'm sure I'm sure there'll be more defenders that they'll sell off and then wonder what happened when one of them gets an injury. But generally speaking, I, I'm a little bit shocked by this whole thing, by their reaction more than anything else. Of course, the, the attention now turns to their game in the Champions League against Real Madrid, which is pretty enormous, JJ, if this is going to be their last shot of winning it for a little while. Pep's old rivals, of course, but perhaps more excitingly, how loud is the booing going to be for the Champions League anthem <laughs> before that game? Do you like the booing? It's, uh, it's, it's, it's There's something admirably childish about it. Yeah, it is as though like these horrible people are, I don't know, it's it's all that whole Man City thing. Like this, the, the fans already boo the Champions League thing, even though the people who have taken over their club are trying to push for it. So they don't really have any control over what's happening to them. They don't they, do they have it. a banner that says ruining football since 2008? Uh-huh. I'll get <laughs> I a new one that. now saying irrefutable evidence. Yeah, yeah, that's a great one. <laughs> Disappointed but not surprised. <laughs> do you think they can win the Champions League? Yeah, of course they can. They've got uh, good players. They can absolutely do it. I, I can't see any teams beating Liverpool ever again, though. So <laughs> it, it would yeah, be. that is something. <laughs> I, I, mean, I don't know. Would it, would it be amazingly funny if they won it? Yes. Or would it be a massive massive problem it would be very very funny I think I'd find it funnier if Atalanta won the Champions League mm. that would just Wait, be cool I, but I, I like that people are like oh yeah now they're going to have to win it as if they've just been sitting there being like yeah we'll we'll see how it goes and now they're like oh this is our last chance so now we have to win it as, you if, know? as, if, as if Pep's not been plucking every last hair from yeah, his head exactly. and stress as if he doesn't know he's entirely judged by this yeah. one competition but there's a good piece by James Ducker in Telegraph today basically saying that no matter what happens whether you know whether they have to sell players or buy new ones or this band gets suspended or whatever uh, Pep's if he stays is going to have to do a proper rebuild this summer which he's never actually done before in his career it would be his first ever sort of squad refreshing because normally he's there for one cycle as they call it and then go somewhere else so if he does stay it'll be interesting to see how he copes with that on well, on a managerial level Spain and Italy reckon he's off to Juve yes what we need just five more years of not winning Champions League but go on Oh, it's tough. It's tough being a Juve fan, isn't it? Really tough. <laughs> Hello. Sorry to interrupt your podcast. I just wanted to take a quick moment to tell you about another programme from The Telegraph. I'm Ben Riley-Smith, the Daily Telegraph's US editor, and I've spent the last year exploring the scandal over links between Donald Trump and Russia for my new podcast, Crossfire. What I found was an extraordinary untold story that kept coming back to Britain. The big gorilla in the room was, would Trump want to meet Putin? Would Putin then meet Trump? And he said, uh, and in any case, the Russians might use some material that they have on Clinton. This is dangerous. This is really dangerous. I've been tracking down those directly involved, from Washington to Cambridge to Belgravia, to try and find out what really happened and what it can tell us about this year's election. So we're looking at the backdrop of Russia. We're looking at what they might be trying to do for our elections. Over six episodes, I will unpack it all, chunk by chunk, through the voices of those with direct knowledge. Most people didn't even want to talk to me. I'm a guy getting death threats. I'm a guy whose life has been totally turned upside down. I will tell you this, whoever it was, I hope they get punished for it. That's in Crossfire, available now wherever you downloaded this podcast. 
Let's talk about Norwich City. Pretty valiant in defeat against the unbeatable Liverpool supermen um, that came up short again. Uh, relegation looking pretty inevitable now for them. But a few of their players look appealing to me, JJ, for any clubs looking to improve this summer. Do you think teams like Arsenal should be looking at players like uh, Buendia, Cantwell, Pookie maybe even? They have looked at Buendia before. He's one of the most creative players in the in the league as well. Like His uh, chances created. Let me just get my little... Statty thing up, yeah. He's created the second most chances of any player in the in the Premier League this season. Sixty eight, actually, that might be more. Now they've played since I've got my updated data. But he's in, and before yesterday, he was the second most creative player in the league. There's no way he's getting close to De Bruyne, who's twenty ahead of him. But uh, Norwich have some semi decent players. I think Todd Cantwell is the pick of them. Me too. I think he's such a decent player. And uh, well, Liverpool apparently right after him is rated about thirty million pounds, something like that. If they go down. You'd think he'd want to move up because that would he needs his career to to keep going and to stay in the top league so he can get into the England team. I'd imagine something he'd want to do and play in the, uh, European football. And I'd imagine he'd be quite a good replacement for like Adam Lallana. Mm. That'd be the sort of squad place he would take up with because he can play wide as one of the forwards or he can play in centre midfield as one of the attackers, the creative kind of box to box ones. Uh, Puki. It's probably not going to go anywhere. Uh, you've, had, you've had your fantasy points now, everyone. Uh, it's time to get rid. Uh, it's, Tim Krul, is he up for it? Like, is well, he. I mean, he maybe get in the Holland squad. That's the thing he's up for. I don't I like think he's going to be a. He's always been decent, Tim Krul, but he's not maybe the elite that people thought he was. He got. He was playing. He was a first choice when he was really young. Like he went to Scotland and played for Kilmarnock, I think it was, and then he was in Newcastle's first team for a long time and he was dead young, but he hasn't quite matched that the potential people thought he'd have. I really would like Cantwell in, in um, Juve, to be honest. Get him to Juve. Why not? Um, what about the Southampton-Burnley game? Have you seen a weirder goal this season, Sam, than Burnley's first against Southampton? Ings avoiding a corner on the near post, which seems a strange thing to be doing if you're defending a corner on the near post. And McCarthy, the keeper, standing behind his line, just watching it go in. I, I, I've watched this about five times, thinking, how's that happened? Uh, he must have thought he was... Ings must have thought he was closer to his near post that was hitting the side netting. He must have thought that's, that's the only possible explanation. Or he thought McCarthy was going to grab it. But then why would he? Because he's only... One yard from his own goal. Why wouldn't he just? Clear I think it? he's convinced it's going straight out. Yeah, I and I wonder whether the wind wide. genuinely I think it's takes, Dennis, takes yeah. a little bit. Dennis of a, gets the assist. Dennis, 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 yeah. get Dennis just assist. maybe just changes the flight a tiny bit, and that's why he misreads it. Because you can see where he's standing, you'd be like, "Oh, it's going out. Oh, it's in." Love that theory. Love <laughs> just the like Dennis that. theory. <laughs> right. With regret, we're going to have to discuss something VARE. Please, Joel Grove, start the timer now. Do we think that Wolves' goal should have stood against Leicester on Friday night? It's, it's his leg because he's running. It's not. Well, I, I don't understand. Is it offside or not? Yes, it is offside, so but the goal should have stood. It's offside because there's nothing in the offside rule saying that the ball has to be played forward. He, although he was coming back and the ball was played backwards, the bit of his foot was offside. Yeah. Is there not a way of applying common sense to this? How would you do that? In that, that offside, yes, we're technically offside because his, his back stud was over the line. Mm. But to the naked eye and to the actual impact on the play, it's totally irrelevant. He's not gained anything at all from that. And there's no one's appealed for it. No one's thought he's offside. So it's just purely pedantry that's flagged that up. 
So for that one, would you not just be like, oh, let it stand? Yeah, exactly. Mm. Come on. Let just it, like let it don't be a joke. And that's the time up, I'm afraid. <laughs> Good chat. Uh, finally, in the Premier League, Chelsea Man United taking place on Monday night. Who's coming out on top in that one, Mina? United. Okay. Ooh. Okay, I'll be there. Just because it's a shock, when and they always manage shock. Yeah, they do good, do well against the big teams, don't they? Back into our life this week is the Champions League. We have the round of sixteen. We've spoken a little bit about City's mm. game, but that's not until next week. Uh, let's go round the audio recording facility for the four games we've got coming up this week. Tell me what I should be expecting from these games, please. Uh, we'll start with you, Mina. Dortmund versus PSG. This is the glamour tie of the round, I think. <sighs> It's an interesting one because everyone thinks that PSG could possibly win the Champions League this season because finally they have a squad that's capable. They've got like a good midfield, a good defence, a good attack, um, which is something to be said. I agree. I think Dortmund are wonderful in the way that they play their football, but I think they have a very leaky back line. Uh, PSG are the most aggressive pressers, so I can see them controlling the game. Um, they're very good at winning back possession and then um, and, and, I, and I would fancy them to score several against that weak back line. They do have Neymar, they do have Mbappe, they do have Icardi, Angel Di Maria, just a stellar lineup. I know they conceded four goals over the weekend, but I wouldn't worry about that because it was a makeshift back line. Uh, Dortmund, um, I do fancy Lucien Favre as a coach more than I like Thomas Tuchel, but uh, I think it's going to be a very fun game to watch. I think there's lots of goals there because as much as I think PSG's back line is better, um, than Dortmund's, they're still capable of conceding. So I would hope there's a lot of goals in this game. Did you see Jaden Sancho's goal on Friday night? I did not. He's quite good. The defender. You know that famous Sol Campbell sliding tackle that never ends? Yes. (laughs) Where he, at Wembley, just sort of goes about 30 yards across the pitch towards the corner flag. Is he not still going? (laughs) That's where he is. Um, The defender, I think uh, the Frankfurt defender, um, Abraham, um, did that exact sort of thing and just slid past Sancho and out of shot as Sancho scored. But the weird thing about it is that Sancho didn't actually do anything. He just ran in a straight line and, defended, <laughs> and the defender came sort of zooming past him and just sort of skidded off the pitch. And he sort of looked at him like, why are you down there before maybe, rolling the ball again, in? Again, maybe it was Dennis. There was a, a great moment like that at QPR on Saturday where Bright Say Samuel did a little chop right on the byline and the uh, Stoke defender just was gone. Uh, my, but Clive Whittingham, who writes about QPR, said that he he went so far out of the stand he had to pay to get back in. Uh, <laughs> but um, away from the middling football of the Championship, JJ, should we go back to the Champions League? What about Atletico versus Liverpool? Is that going to be as fun as Dortmund PSG? I don't know if it's going to be fun. It's it's a another one that's quite hard to tell. Jurgen Klopp seems quite excited about it. It's two two teams who rely on intensity, who are highly structured. But one is very defensive, Atletico, and the other is quite attacking, uh, which is obviously Liverpool. And Atletico aren't playing that well. They, they don't score, basically. So they've they conceded 17 goals in La Liga. They've only scored 25. And in context, like Real Madrid have scored 46, Barca 57. So it's at the top end of the pitch where they're really struggling. And that means they're not as strong defensively because they don't pose as much of a threat. They obviously lost Griezmann in the summer. So that is a loss of goals and this is the first um, uh, first season in seven where they've scored fewer goals than their expected goals say they should so the underlying numbers so show that they are actually better than they than they are on the pitch if that makes sense so they, they should be better off than they are at the moment and uh, it's the kind of game that Liverpool can't go full on attack like they might want to because the threat of them being hit in the counter and the players like I mean, they're missing a lot of players to injury, Atletico is the other thing. I think even Joe Felix is injured just now, isn't he? There's a few who are, who are missing. So 
they've not got the strongest team, but being hit on the counter is the the worry for Liverpool. And we saw that Napoli have worked out how to beat them, which is in a four four two, I think is the shape really, and which is what Atletico tend to play, and blocking space between lines and hitting them that way. So Simeone will have a a plan. His players will know exactly how to do it, and they have the patience and history of knowing how to beat teams like this. So it'll be, I don't think it'll be exciting, but it'll be interesting. But Liverpool never losing again anyway. So well, exactly, they can't lose ever. Yeah, so it's yeah. fine. Yeah. Klopp's unbeaten be in knockout, uh, two-legged knockout ties to Liverpool, isn't he? Sure. I yeah. Think, I think yeah, he is. He is. He's he's league is. Final three finals in a row. No, yeah. no, he is. You're right. Yeah. Mm. Good knowledge, Sam. Do you also have knowledge about Spurs versus energy drink Leipzig? <laughs> I certainly do. Um, I think this could be one of the games... I know it's not as glamorous in terms of the, the names of the club, but it could be one of the most engaging matches. Uh, obviously, people to watch out for. Timo Werner, Turbo Timo, 26 goals and 35 appearances this season. Apparently lined up by Liverpool, among others. Chelsea were looking at him, I think. Um, but Liverpool apparently are in the lead in the race to sign him. Um, they've had a bit of a blip in the last few weeks. They've only won one of their last five, but that one win was this weekend, a 3-0 win against Werder Bremen. Um, Upa Meccano at the back a lot of hype about him apparently all the best clubs want him including Arsenal who aren't the best club but they aren't going to get him there for uh, <laughs> and uh, Patrick Schick who I'm sure um, Mina knows good. all about he was once a golden boy of Italian I, I don't fancy Arnold Leipzig Czech, I am not a fan of them like everyone else is around the world they're only one point off Bayern uh, I don't know Nagelsmann I mean and they don't ever have ter- ter- like they win possession and lose it straight away like their sequence and how, mo- how long they keep the ball is very low that's okay. I'm not a fan That's of fine. Players. I don't know. Easy win for Jose then. Mina is saying, what about this one, Mina? Somehow not a Europa League game. Atalanta versus Valencia. I know. How, how is that not a Europa League? What's going to happen That's very Europa League. Um, Atalanta, a ridiculously attacking side. Um, tell that to Sam Aladice, um, <laughs> who said that uh, it would be nice for Guardiola to go to Juve and show that league some attacking football. Um, really mystifying because Valencia are pretty poor away from home in the league and yet in the Champions League they were fantastic away from home so I don't really know what to make of them whether they have two sides they started slowly um, they had a rough summer obviously sacked their coach brought in someone new in September and they've started to build themselves up again to me they're still they're a seventh place team and they very much play like a seventh place team Atalanta are a side that don't really know how to defend but they attack you so much that you just are left feeling overwhelmed the difference obviously between the two sides is that Atalanta's for me a much better team obviously they're in fourth place in Serie A and they score goals for fun in a, in a league that's very defensive but Valencia have the experience they have the know-how they are better at controlling the game so I don't know who's going to win it yeah well we will watch football to find out what about <laughs> in, the, in the actual Europa League uh, Bruges are facing Man United Olympiacos host Arsenal and Wolves versus Espanyol oh my god if I was a Wolves fan I'd be so excited about that lovely trip to Barcelona uh, and probably quite winnable any banana skins there for the English teams do we think I don't think Olympiacos away is particularly enjoyable I think they got a 2-2 draw with Spurs earlier in the season but they have since sold their best player to Wolves so that might affect them um, but that, I think that's that seems the most likely potential upset for me of, Bruges, the, of the English teams Bruges managed a 2-2 against Real Madrid in the Champions League so I, I do think that they have some firepower they, they shouldn't just be ignored um, and they have a lot of energy so they're one of those types of people that can just overwhelm you just because they're just so into it um, but yeah Espanyol are the very bottom so 
But they did change coaches and they are slowly building themselves back up, but still bottom. Let's stay in Europe now and enjoy some lovely music. Yes, it's time for A Song for Europe. Mina, title races everywhere on the continent, making up for the absolute lack of an English title race this year. Uh, Lazio with a big win over Inter, oh Juve won as well, uh, first time in a while. It's it's just not relenting in Serie A. Oh my God, it, it is, I have to say, like, Serie A is so crazy, so crazy, interesting, it's unbelievable. Okay, so everyone called this the outsiders for the Scudetto, it was the challenge between Lazio and Inter. Um and it was important because Inter had beaten Lazio and, and the way that you measure who comes first, like rankings, if they do finish equal on points, is by the, the games between them. Mm-hmm. So the fact is that Inter won the first match. Lazio needed to win this. And they've just been phenomenal. They are a side who've never complained about the fact that they don't necessarily have squad depth. Um, they don't have Antonio Conte. Many people thought Inzaghi might go to a bigger club. By bigger club, I mean Juve, Milan, Inter. Um, but instead, he stuck around. Um, they finished, what, 7th or 8th last season because they wanted to focus on the Coppa Italia. So they're not really looked upon as this any team that's special. But my God, I mean, they have the best midfield, honestly, in Serie A. Like Milinkovic-Savage, is SMS is just, he's outstanding. There's honestly nothing that he cannot do. Luis Alberto, I mean, Klopp is all in it for Lazio because of Lucas Leiva. But Luis Alberto is also ex-Liverpool. And he is quite genuinely the best assist maker in the entire league. And he has such an understanding with SMS. They're beautiful to watch. Immobile, the guy who always tanks under pressure, which he did because he had so many chances, but he got the penalty. And to watch Inter who just sit there and talk about, oh, we don't have enough players. Oh, my God, we don't have the squad depth. Go and buy everyone in the Premier League who sucks, you know, or hasn't sucked for a while. And and they, they've been doing well. Obviously, they won the Milan derby. Everyone's been talking about them, you know, closest challenges to Juve. But they lose, despite the fact that they brought everyone on, from Sanchez to Eriksen to Lautaro Martinez was playing after having come back. Uh, Lukaku, everyone was there. And you know what? They ended up losing, and Conte was like, well, this is part of a growth process. Growth process against Lazio. Come on. Um, So I really hope Lazio can do something. I'd be thrilled, even as a Juve fan, if they won the title race. I'd be so thrilled for them because they are such, they've really built the squad. They've really created great chemistry. And it's just, he's a fantastic coach in Zaghi. Filippo in Zaghi's brother, of course. Um, He doesn't live on the offside like his brother, but he's a magnificent coach. Live on the offside like a stranger (laughs) thing. We've got, uh, (laughs) we've got the message there, Mina. ABC, anyone but Conte. What about in Spain? It's very, very close at the top there between the two scrappy underdogs, Barcelona and Real Madrid. Uh, Barcelona just about got past Getafe. Some signs that Sentien's methods are beginning to work. I mean, they pass a lot. Um, But this is the team that like basically got 1,005 passes against Granada and only won 1-0. So they're not exactly like the most interesting side to watch. But they are playing a more Barcelona method of, of play. They they really are missing um, a striker. But they now have permission to go out and get one because they were granted that. Actually, I just got the notification Why? right now. Because, you know, I mean, apparently bad management doesn't count for anything. You know, like you can just, if you if you decide to not have a striker, you can just ask the league to let you open the transfer market. Well, what's the actual reason that? They've been allowed to do this. I've not seen. I've just seen this news as I came into the podcast. Do we anyone know why they've actually been granted permission to do this? Well, I think it's. I think to them, basically, what they're saying is that we lost Usman Dembele to a serious injury, and Luis Suarez as well. And 
The fact is, is that they haven't got alternatives to that for some reason is being overlooked. by Except the for their gigantic and successful youth academy. <laughs> I mean, well, yeah, exactly. I mean, I don't let's just it. be honest. If you're Real Madrid or you're Atletico or you're all these teams that are trying to run for this, you'd be a little bit upset, no? Yeah, you yeah. say no and you, you make them use their youth players that they've got. You wonder if it was Rayo Valencano or someone in the same uh, situation. Yeah, exactly. Oh, here we go. Allowed to do and it. they've got Ansu Fati and they've got... Under, under La Liga rules, if a player is out for more than five months, then clubs can apply to sign one player from another La Liga club or bring in any out-of-contract players in Spain. That just seems ridiculous. They just wrote that in this morning, didn't they? <laughs> yeah. This is what everyone was talking about because everyone's like, I don't remember last time this happened. But to be honest, you know, like Real Madrid also missed their chance at, uh, at winning. They could only manage a draw. What I did want to say about Barcelona is that as much as they are sort of playing the Setien way, they still have a lot of the weaknesses that they showed under Valverde. Um, you're not really confident of them necessarily getting the goals. It could be because, of course, they don't have a star striker. Um, but it's also defensively they just always look like they're capable of conceding quite a few goals I'm really interested to see what happens against Napoli because Napoli are rather poor to be honest but you still feel like they might provide them with a test let's finish up by talking about the weather two mega storms affected games in the last couple of weeks so I want to know from each of you what your favorite ever game was that took place during seriously challenging weather. Your favourite ever weather game. Dan on Twitter says, Stoke versus Preston on Tuesday night last week. The tears of Stoke fans caused Pontypridd level flooding. What have you got, Sam? I've not got a specific storm memory. Get out. I know. I did wrap my brain away. It's not stormy, just any sort of weather. Um, like sunny weather. It was very cold in... <laughs> Borisov this time last year that's not the point I just like it a lot when the conditions are so bad that you shoot and the ball gets held up on the on the goal line that's one of my favourite things to happen in football you know like when it's snowing loads and the guy wheels away with his yeah. hand up in the air celebrating a goal and then he looks back in anguish to see the orange ball is stopped on the line I like when teams play each other and uh, the ball gets stuck in the midfield in the puddles <laughs> that's really enjoyable in terms I can't think of any examples Either that really annoys me. I re- it's really funny. I also enjoyed <laughs> the the wind in the so the last storm, Kira, that it was called last week. Kiara, no? yeah, Kiara. I was close. Uh, it's in you can see it in all the Scottish Cup games last week. The goalkeeper couldn't even put the ball down without it was rolling fifteen yards within a second. That was good fun as well. Mina, Should have you got Ciara? an actual answer here? Uh, I was going to say Juve uh, Galatasaray, but I I found it the worst game as opposed. What to was the weather match. like? It was snowing. Oh. Uh, Conte was in charge. And it was in Galatasaray stadiums when Mancini was in charge of them. And they decided to only bother taking care of one side of the pitch, the side that their team was playing on, while uh, their opponents, being Juventus, had to play with all the snow around them. Um, so I thought that was quite fun. Yeah. Did Liverpool do that against someone a couple of seasons ago? I think it might have been Everton, when they basically didn't wipe the snow off the opposition half. I mean, that's got to be cheating, right? Also, it doesn't well, make it as hard for you defending yeah. on the snowy half. I can't remember which way around they did it, but um, that happens every game. You know, they only water one half of the pitch sometimes. In the second half, if you're attacking one side, they'll only water that side. It's a naughty sport, isn't it? Every advantage counts, Tom, in this in this game of marginal gains. Yet we go crazy when a player falls. 
If, like me, you are very interested in football but recklessly uninterested in grown-up things like news, politics or share prices, I've got some excellent news. As a listener to Audio Football Club, you can now get 50% off the price of a sports-only subscription to The Telegraph. That will allow you to read every article by our team of brilliant football writers like two of the people you've been listening to today, JJ Bull and Sam Dean, plus loads more, Jamie Carragher, Sam Wallace, Jason Burt. It's just £20 for the year for all of that lot, down from the normal price of £40, and that will even get you the rest of our fantastic sports writing in an Olympic year, no less. Who knows? Maybe you'll even end up liking rugby. You have until the 15th of March 2020 to access this special offer. To sign up, go to www.telegraph.co.uk forward slash AFCT or click the link in the show notes. That's all for this week. You can contact me on Twitter if you want to before next week. It's at Tom with an H Gibbs. Send us an email as well. Why not? You know the address, afcpodcast.telegraph.co.uk. We'll read out the very best of what you send us. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast as well. Look for Audio Football Club wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks to Joel Grove on the buttons. Thanks to you for your company. I'll talk to you again soon. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.